Psalm 19. We're going to read the whole psalm today. Why not? Let's read together. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. He rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your presence that we've sensed as we've worshiped. Now I ask you to open our hearts that we may hear what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I pray for strength for the voice and for my body to be able to deliver your word. Give me clarity of thought and speech. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. And I ask that you'll send the Holy Spirit after them, draw them to your side. Don't let one of them be lost, I pray. Thank you for hearing our prayer that we pray today in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. There is no field of study of which I am aware that is capable of proving the existence of God. Even the Bible, which tells us more about God than any other book, never attempts to prove God's existence. It simply says, God is. Everything flows from the proclamation in the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God. Although the existence of God cannot be proven in a laboratory, there are some very rational reasons to believe there is a God. I'm not going to have time in one message to explore in detail all the reasons and every line of thought branching from those reasons. Otherwise, we'll just get lost in the weeds and won't stand a chance of getting out before a week from next Tuesday. <laughs> Instead, I'm going to do my best 
to be concise while at the same time being as thorough as possible. As I talk to you about belief in God as a basic foundation of faith, we turn our attention to the verses that form the text for the message today. We find Psalm 19 is a Psalm of David. In the first stanza of this song, he writes about the illumination of God in the skies. Verse one, David sings, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. I would guess the word heaven evokes some kind of mental image in most everybody who hears it. When you look to the Bible, you find the Bible actually talks about three heavens. The first heaven is the sky above that we can see, the the atmosphere where, where the birds fly. The second heaven is what we might call outer space, the place where the stars and the planets and the galaxies are spinning and shining. The third heaven is the dwelling place of God. This third heaven is what the Apostle Paul was writing about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he talked about being caught up to the third heaven in a vision. Three heavens. The first heaven where the birds fly, second heaven where the stars shine, third heaven the abode of God. The first heaven we see by day, the second heaven we see by night, the third heaven we see by faith. All three of these wonderful places we call heaven declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. First, they tell us of God's person. One of the meanings of that word glory is the outshining of God, the the brilliant light of his existence and presence. That's what it means in 1 Timothy 6, 16, when it tells us he dwells in unapproachable light. The heavens illuminate for us the truth of God's existence. The creation testifies to the existence of a creator. The discipline of philosophy has an argument known as the column cosmological argument. This argument contains three simple statements. Number one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. That is, things don't just pop into existence out of nothing. There there is a cause for that. Number two, the universe had a beginning. Science tells us it originates from a point of singularity, which was derisively labeled the Big Bang by astronomer Fred Hoyle, and the name kind of stuck. Third, therefore, the universe has a cause. So whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe has a beginning. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Even atheists and agnostics acknowledge this truth. American astronomer Robert Jastrow, who is an agnostic, has admitted that although the details may differ, the essential element in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis is the same. The chain of events leading to man commenced suddenly and sharply at a definite moment in time in a flash of light and energy. Scientists have agreed there is a primary first cause. But the testimony of the heavens is articulated in the Bible, which gives the identity of this uncaused first cause. Everything has a beginning except the one self-existent God. 
the one who stands outside of time, space, matter, and energy. The one who created everything, but is himself created of nothing. Not only do the heavens speak of God's person, but then David says they speak of God's power. He says in verse one, their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Another translation says the firmament shows his handiwork. The sheer expanse and size of the universe testifies to an incredible power at work. Think of the amount of energy just in our sun. And then multiply that energy times the number of stars and suns just in our galaxy, and then multiply that throughout the other galaxies in our universe. And then remember, all of this is called into being by God's creative word. The heavens testify to the truth of God's power. Then they speak of God's purpose. He says in verse two, day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. This is what philosophers call the teleological argument, and it speaks to the issue of intentional design. This universe in which we live is organized and fine-tuned in such a way that defies the idea of randomness and points to careful intentionality in its design. It isn't the result of chance occurrences. Paul Davies, one of the leading physicists and cosmologists of our day, makes this audacious claim. I cannot believe that our existence in this universe is a mere quirk of fate. We are truly meant to be here. And I want to tell you, that's quite a statement for one who doesn't even claim to believe in a personal God. When you examine the number of variables that have to be present for life to exist on this planet, it defies logic and imagination to believe they could all have occurred by random chance the planet's orbit in just the right position. Our earth is suspended in space, rotating on its axis, revolving around our sun, creating night and day. We are at exactly the right distance, tilted at precisely the correct angle to sustain life. All the pieces of this universe work like finely tuned machinery. And the probability of all these and many other factors converging by random chance is so infinitesimally small, it leads me to conclude there is a master designer and architect behind it all. You know, we hear people talk about the laws of nature, but in reality, there are no laws of nature. There are the laws of God that nature obeys. Everything fulfills the purpose for which it was designed and created. The heavens speak of God's presence, God's power, God's purpose. Then they speak of God's presence. David sings in verses three through six, there is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their sound has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them, he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chambers. It rejoices as a strong man runs its course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The heavens testify to the truth that God is everywhere. 
Since the formation of this universe, all creation has been speaking about God, and it is an ongoing message that continues to be presented to all generations. That's what Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 is talking about when it says, that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what was made or what has been made so that they are without excuse. See, everywhere you look in this vast universe, you find stamped across the face of it, made by God. The light and warmth of the sun speak of the presence of God. The expanse and order of the universe reveal the divine handiwork. The constellations tell the story of redemption. The zodiac commences with Virgo, the virgin, and concludes with Leo, the lion. Two signs directly associated with the birth and subsequent return of the Lord Jesus. And in between, the rest of the constellations tell in pictorial splendor the story of the fall and redemption of humanity. The heavens proclaim a divine revelation. They declare the glory of God, the illumination of God in the skies. Well, then in the second stanza of this ancient song, the psalmist shifts his focus, and he begins to sing about the instruction of God in the scriptures. It's interesting to me when David talks in the first section about the God of creation, the the Hebrew word he uses there is El. He speaks of El, the, the mighty one, the God of power. But here in the second stanza, David uses another name to speak of God. Here he calls him Jehovah, Lord. El is the God of power and might. Jehovah is the personal God, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. The powerful God, El, has revealed himself in the sky, in the world, infinite worlds. The personal God, Jehovah, has revealed himself in the scripture, in words, infallible words. Powerful God speaks to us through what he has wrought. Personal God speaks to us through what he has written. Powerful God is the God of creation. Personal God is the God of revelation. The skies say God is almighty. He is eternal. He is omniscient. He is a God of infinite order and immeasurable power. The scriptures say God is a person who loves and feels, who knows and cares and rules. As David turns his attention to Jehovah and his instruction in the scriptures, he begins by saying the scriptures are perfect. That's verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The skies reveal the glory of God, but the scriptures reveal the grace of God. Through the scriptures, we understand the will of God. Through the scriptures, we are instructed in the ways of God. Through the scriptures, we see the marvelous provision of God for lost humanity. If you want to know the character of God, you'll find it in his word. If you want to know how God thinks and feels and acts, it's right here in his word. Through the word, we are made clean. Through the word, we are made whole. Through the word, we are healed. Through the word, we are restored. The scriptures are perfect. Not only that, but the scriptures are plain. The last part of verse seven says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You know, you don't need an earned PhD to understand the Bible. If that were the case, a lot of us would be left out. 
but the word of God is for all people everywhere. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty five, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. The scriptures are perfect, they're plain. Then the psalmist reminds us they are pleasing. He says in verse eight, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The prophet understood this when he wrote in Jeremiah 15 and 16, your words were found and I ate them and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I've been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. How many of you have discovered the word of the Lord is pleasing? And then we find the psalmist singing the scriptures are pure. Continuing in verse eight, he says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You know, in the Bible, there is no mixture of evil. Someone has said there are over 6,000 promises in the Bible. Well, I haven't personally counted them, but this I know, not one of them has ever been broken. All the promises of God are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus. The scriptures are perfect, they are plain, they're pleasing, they're pure, and they are permanent. Verse nine, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. This book, though written thousands of year ago, years ago, is as current and fresh as the morning news feed. The word of the Lord is never out of date. It is never inappropriate. You know, it's amazing how the word of the Lord continues to endure. People have tried to stamp it out, but it refuses to be extinguished. Countries have outlawed its possession, but people handwrite verses on scraps of paper and secretly pass them around until the paper disintegrates. Governments have relegated to the back room of forbidden materials along with pornographic novels and magazines, but people still manage to read its contents and their lives are transformed as a result. Jesus declared, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Because it is all these things, the word of the Lord is precious. Verse 10 testifies, they are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Perfect, plain, pleasing, pure, permanent, precious, and the scriptures are protective. That's verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. Do you want to stay out of trouble? Some of you are not sure. Do you want to know how to truly be healthy, wealthy, and wise? Do you want to learn how to live victoriously in this treacherous world? <laughs> Study the scriptures. Learn the scriptures. Meditate on the scriptures. Live according to the scriptures. Hide them in your heart. Give heed to them and obey them. Every plan and device of man is hopelessly flawed and only leads to destruction. But I'm telling you, the word works. Yes. Scriptures are protective and they are profitable. Verse 11 continues and says, in keeping them, there is great reward. What I'm trying to show you is if you sincerely want to know God, he can be found. Just look up. God reveals himself in the skies. Just open your Bible. God reveals himself in the scriptures. This psalm tells about the illumination of God in the skies. It tells about the instruction of God in the scriptures. And then we come to the last section of the psalm. And once more, the psalmist changes his focus. Here in the final section, he sings about intimacy with God in the spirit. 
Everything is just an academic exercise until you get to this point. Here is where the transcendent God gets up close and personal and begins to affect our lives. In this section, we begin to understand why we spend, talking, spend time talking about any of this in the first place. It isn't just about seeing God in the skies or in the scripture. The real issue is, how does it affect the human heart? What does it have to say to me and to you? In verses 12 and 13, he talks about the impact this divine revelation has upon the heart when he talks about being acquitted of hidden faults, being kept from presumptuous sins, being blameless, and being forgiven of great transgressions. The Message Bible says it like this. Clean the slate, God, so we can start the day fresh. Keep, I love this, keep me from stupid sins. You know, maybe that ought to be put in bold letters on the mirror so we see it first thing in the morning, you know. Keep me from stupid sins. He goes on and says, from thinking I can take over your work. Then I can start this day sun-washed, scrubbed clean of the grime of sin. Does that sound like something anybody would like to have? See, the goal isn't just to reveal his glory in the skies. It isn't just to portray his grace in the scriptures. Instead, it's about making a connection with him in the spirit. The real point of faith is not about developing correct information. It's about heart transformation. And when we understand that, Then we can look at this concluding verse of the psalm and hear that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of your mouth come into agreement with the divine revelation. Let your words come into alignment to speak the truths that are revealed in the skies and the scriptures. See, there's power in your words. There's power when you begin to speak the things revealed about God in the skies and the scriptures. There's power when your words line up with God's reality. When God reveals something and you align with his revelation and bring your words into agreement with your affirmation of amen then there is a spiritual dynamic unleashed that accomplishes the miraculous. And notice, please, it isn't just the words of your mouth. It's also the meditations of your heart. The word meditation is an interesting one with a rich, broad meaning. The way it is used here denotes a particular perspective, uh, uh, an attitude, a mindset. It's the idea of talking to yourself. Do you, do you ever talk to yourself? I suggest you do that when nobody else is around, otherwise they will describe you in psychological terms. Self-talk. 
where there is this running commentary throughout the day of what you say to yourself, either consciously or subconsciously. This self-talk isn't just the audible words you say, but it comes from your inner being, your heart. It's the message you speak to yourself from your heart that then seasons your outlook on life. It's how you look at things. It determines whether you are positive or negative, victorious or defeated. Do you see life's events from earth's inadequacy or from heaven's completion? Do you see problems or possibilities? Do you see obstacles or opportunities? That's the meditation of your heart. It's your, it's your outlook, what you say to yourself from your inner being about how I'm going to approach life and living. And there's another meaning to this word meditation. It also means song, music, melody. Think about it. Let the words of my mouth and the music, the song of my heart. Let me ask you, don't answer this out loud, but, but think about it. What is the song of your heart? What is the soundtrack of your life? It, 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 if you were producing a movie titled The Story of Me, what would be the underscoring theme song? Maybe, maybe the soundtrack running in the back of your life would be similar to that of the woman in the Old Testament known as Naomi. You remember Naomi? In the book of Ruth, we're told Naomi went with her family to the land of Moab, and while she was there, all of her immediate family members died. Years later, when she returned to her hometown of Bethlehem, the townspeople recognized her and welcomed her back to the city. They said, look, here comes Naomi. You remember what Naomi, how she responded? She said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me that anymore. Instead, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. I may have gone out from you pleasant, but I'm coming back bitter because of all that's happened to me. Maybe, maybe you identify with that soundtrack. Life has dealt you some harsh blows, and yours is a song of bitterness. Maybe you identify with the soundtrack of the children of Israel in captivity. Their homeland had been destroyed, and they had been carried away as exiles by the Babylonians. They sang of their distress in Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps, for there our captors demanded of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Perhaps heartbreak and discouragement would be the way to describe the soundtrack that plays in the background of your life today. Maybe your song is a song of sadness and grief over loss. Maybe it's a song of disappointment. Maybe you've been mistreated and abused. And your song is one of pain or anger. Your life soundtrack could be like a broken record playing the same pessimistic refrain over and over and over again in the minor key. This is the way it is. It's never going to change. This is who you are over again. 
Well, in this psalm, David lets us know about another possibility of a soundtrack for your life, and it's a possibility that meets the approval of the Lord. The specific melody, tempo, and rhythm, dynamic level may be different for every individual. The way it's expressed may vary, but I want to tell you the theme of the acceptable soundtrack is the same for everyone. This is the this is the acceptable song of the soundtrack for your life. It's a theme born out of faith in the God of the skies and the scriptures. The theme is this. God is my rock. God is my redeemer. I've beheld his glory in the skies. I've witnessed the revelation of his grace in the scriptures. When I behold the illumination of God in the skies and the instruction of God in the scriptures, faith begins to rise and it causes my spirit to sing. There's, a, there's another possibility. There's another song that I can sing. This great God of the skies is my rock. This gracious God of the scripture is my redeemer. When winds of adversity blow, God is my rock. God is my redeemer. When storms threaten to capsize my life, God God is my rock. God is my redeemer. When friends turn against me, God is my rock. God is my redeemer. When health is failing, God is my rock. God is my redeemer. When resources are depleted, God is my rock. God is my redeemer. When disappointments come, God is my rock. God is my redeemer. When grief wraps its tattered shroud over my shoulders, God is my rock. God is my redeemer. When dreams are dashed and hope is destroyed, God is my rock. God is my redeemer. Oh, I got to go on to tell you in times of not enough, God is my rock. God is my redeemer. In times of despair, God is my rock. God is my redeemer. In times of tragedy, God is my rock. God is my redeemer. In times of catastrophe, God is my rock. God is my redeemer. In times of abandonment, God is my rock. God is my redeemer. In times of uncertainty, God is my rock. God is my redeemer. In times of failure, God is my rock. God is my redeemer. No matter what the circumstances seem to dictate, no matter how dismissive the academics become, through eyes of faith, the God of the skies and the God of the scriptures has come up close and personal to let me know there is yet a rock, sure and certain, immovable before the unpredictable winds of life, unshifting through the storms of uncertainty, constant through the ages. This song continues to declare the hope of a kinsman redeemer, one who will rescue the disenfranchised, one who will revive a destiny and will recover what has been hopelessly lost. The heavens declare the words to the song, there is a rock. There is a redeemer. In the pages of the Bible are revealed the words to the song. There is a rock. There is a redeemer. Maybe your song has been silenced. Maybe you've been singing a song you think describes your present condition that will never change. I've come today to give you a new song. 
I've come to give you a song that will rise with such force it will displace the current song in your heart. I've come to give you a song that is not restricted to the way it's always been. I've come to give you a song that is beyond your restricted environment. Come to give you a song that is from beyond this present world. Come to give you a, a new theme song to replace the old soundtrack of your life. I've come to give you a song that is reflective of the difference faith makes in your life. The words are old, but it's a new song because it's born of a fresh infusion of faith. Hear the words of the new theme song for your life. God is my rock. God is my redeemer. Come on, say it with me. God is my rock. God is my redeemer. Come on, say it again like we believe it. God is my rock. God is my redeemer. <laughs> when you leave this place, look up into the sky. Take a few moments tonight and go out and look at the stars. Listen with your heart to what they are saying in their silent vigil. God is my rock. God is my redeemer. Open your Bibles, page after page, page after page. Don't miss its witness. God is my rock. God is my redeemer. Let, let faith rise in your heart. It will change the soundtrack of your life. Listen, listen. <clears throat> Come help me stop, Pastor Larry. I'll... Becoming a person of faith doesn't mean a leap into empty nothingness. Instead, when you step out on faith, you discover you land for the very first time on something solid and strong upon which to build your life. God is my rock. When you step out on faith, you land for the very first time on something able to give hope of restoration. Restored dreams, restored destiny, restored possibilities that there's more to life than this world knows anything about. Restoration of all the broken places into something whole and useful once again. God is my redeemer. In the midst of life's challenges, this will be the song that rises above the tumult. This will be the song that pushes back the darkness. This will be the song that changes the atmosphere. This will be the song that pulls the otherworldly into this world. This will be the song that transforms your life into a masterpiece that rises to the praise of his glory. God is my rock. God is my redeemer. I wish I had more time to... to, to unpack that for you. It's a personal, a personal revelation to you. He's not just the rock and the redeemer of the pastor or the elders. He's your rock, your redeemer. 
You let faith embrace him. Stand with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Would somebody grab hold of that today? Would somebody embrace that for your life today? Would you grab that today? Why don't you just, maybe just tap yourself on the shoulder and say, God is my rock. God is my redeemer. Holy Spirit, let your word so impact us with its truth and its power that we are transformed to what you've designed and called us to be.